everybody. You are listening to the MS Mobile Show. This is the podcast about Microsoft for Microsoft fans. If you are a Win fan, you are listening to the right show. This episode is a little bit special in the fact that we will be geeking out in a different manner than usual. We have a great guest that will help us get a much clearer view of Microsoft from a side that we often misunderstand. My name is Vernon E.L. Smith. Uh, my regular co-host, David V. Kimball, is again not with us for this episode, but I am thrilled to have another wonderful guest with us. His name is Blake Latson. He's a Microsoft enthusiast and listener of the show. Blake, welcome to MS Mobile Show. Thanks, Vernon. Glad to be here. Blake is on because of a, an interesting uh, an interesting conversation he had with me on Slack, and I'm so glad that he did this. I was on, um, I talked on, on our the other podcast I do, I talked about Microsoft's recent buyback program, and I didn't understand it very well, but I tried to speak about it a little bit knowledgeably without trying to go in detail and still give a, you know, discover it like news. And Blake was uh, very gracious to basically d- direct message me and say, you know, he said it very kindly. He's like, you and a whole bunch of other people screwed it up. You don't know what you're talking about. Hey, and no, I didn't say that. Come on. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but I'm so, Blake, I'm so glad that you did tell me, you, 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 um, you know, offered your services with this. And I am thrilled to have you on to talk about that. I think it's a fantastic thing for our listeners to to understand, and I don't know anyone better than you to help us with that. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on, and uh, you know it's a topic that comes to mind about once a quarter around earnings season, and uh, all the various tech blogs all take a crack at discussing the news of the day, which uh, oftentimes swerves into rather arcane financial topics that a lot of people just uh a don't have any interest in but even if they're trying to uh understand the news uh, oftentimes they're uh, things are not explained very well to them and a lot of it just goes right over their head and more importantly i think they come away with a uh, misunderstanding a lot of times uh what can be ordinary or, or rather mundane announcements uh get interpreted or spun as being rather, rather negative when, when they're really not. So hopefully I can help shed a little light on that. First, let's get to know a little bit more about you as a Microsoft. Would you Do you consider yourself a Microsoft enthusiast or are you just is it just one more of the things that you include in your life? Uh, no, I, I think uh, I would definitely consider myself an enthusiast. Um, now, it's, uh, I, I use Microsoft technology in a number of areas, uh, both professionally and in my private life, and uh, I do follow the company rather closely. I think they're one of the more interesting and innovative and exciting tech companies. Um, I'm certainly not exclusively Microsoft. Um, in fact, at the, at the moment, my SIM card is in an Android phone, <clears throat> but I do have a couple of uh, Lumias laying around that I tinker with all the time, constantly, and uh uh, other members of the household are all toting iPhones, so I, I get a good dose of everything, pretty cross-platform. <laughs> but um, certainly uh, have been a fan of the Windows phone platform since uh, since the 920 was launched and uh, followed it pretty closely ever since. I consider Windows Phone 8 and 8.1 kind of the, the golden age of Windows right. Phone. Right. And, and especially the imaging at that time was incredible. I was very happy with the imaging with 920 and of course the 1020 was pretty fantastic so, but yeah sure so blake tell tell us what are your go-to microsoft devices 
Well, uh, as I've mentioned to you previously, uh, I am a finance professional. I'm, I'm, I'm gainfully employed in the world of uh, investment management, uh, corporate finance. I've been in banking. Uh, so at, accordingly, I spend a whole lot of my time in Microsoft Excel. I could not live without Excel. Um, Excel is to me perhaps the most amazing piece of software on the planet. Uh, there's literally nothing you can't do with it. And it's astonishing to me. You know, I'll, I can spend days or, or weeks building a rather elaborate investment model and, and involving all types of uh, immensely complex formulas, nested formulas upon nested formulas upon nested formulas and external calls to data sources and, and so on. And from time to time, I, I, you know, I'll catch myself being struck with the thought that this is absolutely amazing. If somebody, some group of people were actually able to engineer this thing, build this thing, get it to where it is today with its capabilities. I, it never ceases to amaze me. So from that standpoint, I'm a huge fan of uh, Microsoft Excel alone. And then you look at some of the other enterprise-related tools and what, where they've gone um, in recent years, just, just from the standpoint of, of data in general, it, it really is pretty amazing. And collaborative tools and so on, it, it's, it's pretty astonishing what can be done today. It's uh, made lives for the, for the professional today uh, a heck of a lot more convenient and, and easy and, and more productive for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of convenience, I mean, you, do you work from home or do you have an office you go to? And then what are your computing devices at, at home and at work? <laughs> at home, it's pretty modest. I'm, I'm using a, uh, an old HP computer that uh, I don't really know how old it is, perf be perfectly honest with you, but I know it came with um, Vista originally. Uh, so it's been upgraded. I've upgraded it through uh, Windows 8 and uh, through 8.1 and then on to 10. And amazingly enough, that, that's another thing that really astonishes me about the quality of engineering work that Microsoft has been able to do over the last several years, uh, used to be when, when you upgraded a, a Windows OS, uh, you knew you were going to be shopping for a new computer because whatever you were using was not going to be able to run the next upgrade or it wasn't going to run it very well. And uh, you would be miserable until you just went and got a new computer. And um, starting with, with 8, that really turned around. Uh, you know, this machine, as soon as I put 8 on it, ran so much better, so much more responsive. Um, you, you could sense it was a, a much lighter um, footprint, I guess, um, th than Vista certainly was. And, uh, and that continued right on through 8.1 and into 10. Uh, to much to my surprise, 10 is, uh, it, it wasn't as notable a difference, but it still seemed uh, a little more responsive, uh, certainly with the initial um, upgrade. Uh, maybe since the, uh, the AU, uh, a little more features coming. I don't, I don't know if it's, it may have gotten a little more laggy since AU, I don't know, but uh, all in all, it's been a great experience, and uh, I'm really loving Windows 10. My work iPhone, I upgraded to 10.02 um, or something, and the thing is just a dog now. It just is not, you know, well, it's scheduled obsolescence, you know. We, you know right. Um, Whereas I am very happy with how well my machine, my I'm in the same position. My home machine is, I don't know, half a decade old or something, and it does uh, run very well, runs 10 very well. So what about at work? Do you have, are you running like a, 
you know, a surface uh, surface book with 16 gig, or is it something that's <laughs> not just... quite that good? Uh, but I am spoiled. It's a it's a tower. It's a, it's an it's an i7 with eight gigs. I've got a dual monitor setup, and of course, uh, an endless supply of storage with corporate network. So it's uh, pretty much any tool I want or need uh, at my disposal. It is running Windows 7 though, so you know I, I go into the office and I sit down, and it's like stepping back in time 10 years. It seems like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did, to me the Windows 10 interface and uh, menuing system uh, it, it feels so much more modern, and uh, clearly you can see where. Microsoft's going and this convergence between the old desktop model and the more modern uh, app-centric type uh, computing model uh, I think is a good one and it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes over the next five years or so. Hmm. Cool. You, you obviously said Excel, and understandably. Um, are you running, what would it be, uh, 2010 or 2013 at, at work and I'm sure yeah work uh, you know as, as is typical with most enterprise type uh, situations that they're a little slow to go to the latest greatest thing they take their time so I'm I'm on seven and I'm running office 2013 at the office uh, here at home I'm on uh, office 365 with the 2016 uh, apps installed so uh, using the latest and greatest here at home so how often I guess I should say I don't even know if you can bring what some of your work home directly, and how do you do that on a thumb drive? Do you just have a VPN access from home? Is uh, it something both, you just really. never do? No, you know, and actually I do also have a laptop, so uh, I've got an i7 okay. Dell laptop that I can use the VPN to uh, to our systems if I need to. But I'll, I'll frequently I'll just save uh, if I think I need to get a little work done at home over a weekend or at night I'll. Uh, Save the files I'm working on to Dropbox, and uh, I've got uh, we've got Rudy's Dropbox UWP app installed on my Windows 10 machine here at the house. I open it up. There's my files. Open it up and get my work done. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, do you, what do you think about Outlook? Is you you spend a lot of time in Outlook as well, or is it just Excel is your home? Well, yeah, we live in Outlook, uh, obviously at the office as well, and. Um, here at home, though, I, I prefer the Windows 10 mail client, quite frankly. I, I prefer the lighter, uh, slightly more nimble um, interface. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it absolutely serves my purposes for personal use. And then if I really need uh, to do something, you know, a little more powerful searching, perhaps, or go further back, you know, it only uh, will sync up, I guess. I've got to sync up the last month's worth of mail. If I need to go back further in time, then I'll go on to the, the web client and log in. But um, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be getting the, uh, you know, I, I guess The Rock got the new mail.com, uh, outlook.com <laughs> sooner than I did even. So, uh, but I finally got the email yesterday saying I'm supposed to be getting it. So uh, I need to check that out. I need to log on to the website and see what's changed. Yeah, he actually got it just the day after, uh, well, he and I were talking to the Outlook PR guy at Ignite. We were both, uh, he was demoing some stuff there. And of course, it's an ongoing joke. So I'm sure when I told him, hey, you didn't get it yet. A little self-deprecating here. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, he got it just the next day, which is interesting. But yeah, it definitely seems like they're picking up the pace with that. So, uh, Maybe maybe they will actually get everybody on board around the uh, not too long after they said they would. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the productivity stuff so far, productivity devices and services, but we really didn't talk about anything else. Do you is your do you have an Xbox in your family? Do you have um, 
I don't know, like a Microsoft uh, <laughs> keyboard that you certainly uh, you hold dear to your heart or anything like that? Yeah, uh, and that, not actually, uh, not a Microsoft keyboard. Or anything. I do actually have, yeah, I actually do have a Microsoft mouse. How about that? I didn't think I knew I had one, but I do. Uh, we do have an Xbox 360 sitting upstairs. My kids are a little older now. My youngest is in high school, so uh, doesn't get turned on too frequently these days. But uh, we do have one. I, I have had my eye on that new uh, Xbox One S. Uh, may have to uh, pick one of those up here before long and put that down in the den and see if I can actually utilize it as a bit of a media center, a, kind of a standardize on that, run everything through that. That that's exactly how I would use it if if and when I I get one. I keep putting it off, and probably the longer I put it off, the better. Actually, <laughs> what about any other Microsoft services? Do you use uh, Groove Music or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I was a Windows Phone user up until several months ago as my daily driver and uh, had utilized Xbox Music and uh, so watched with uh, great interest with the transition to 10 and the launch of Groove, hoping uh, they would improve upon uh, the bit of the mess that the Xbox Music app had become and uh, have not been disappointed. Uh, that, that Groove app, I think, is fantastic. Uh, love it on my PC. Uh, went ahead and installed it on the Android phone, and it's not so impressive on the Android phone. But then again, neither is Google Play Music. Uh, uh, there doesn't seem to be a high quality music player on Android that I've come across yet. And not that I've really been looking too hard, but uh, I pretty much stick with Groove because I've created all my playlists in Groove, and that's kind of what I use on the computer. And I can stream through my home receiver here through the network and so that just uh that's a great platform it's convenient and um that's kind of what i use and but yeah i use a number of uh microsoft services uh the OneDrive, yeah of course as part of the office 365 platform so i'm utilizing that and i've got everybody in the family uh set up with their mobile office installs and in their OneDrive and syncing all their camera rolls to, to OneDrive. so uh, that's proving to be a very useful tool. Nice. And I guess I'm kind of curious. I would imagine that you're maybe one of the more technically savvy people in the family. As you pulled them into what you felt was best for them, what type of feeling, or I don't want to say resistance, but like <laughs> how easy was the adoption? Did it, oh, really? OneDrive? That's a Microsoft thing? That's lame? Or was it... Well, well, well luckily, luckily yeah. I didn't have to catch too much flack. You know, I just said, no, this is... You know, after several iterations of people losing their pictures because <laughs> of, you know, dropping and cracking their phone, and then by the time it dies and... Uh, or, or not be able to utilize the display to see to back anything up, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they wouldn't take the time to let me set it up properly the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, lessons were learned the hard way. And um, I, don't, I remember one of my daughters was in tears after uh, losing a phone after she had been to a uh, one of her first concerts and had taken all kinds of pictures and videos of the concert. And uh, a few days later, destroyed her phone and, and lost all that. And so she was pretty heartbroken at the time and uh, that gave me the leeway to uh, uh, say hand over the phone for 20 minutes and go away and let me get things set up right and <laughs> it's, it's pretty low touch once it's on there uh, don't have to fiddle with it too much so uh, it just does its thing in the background nice that's good well going back a little bit then what is the oldest Microsoft product you were you recall using 
and um, like I guess maybe share how it compares to what your you know your situation now. Well, there's uh, a I can guarantee you there's no comparison. Uh, I can remember my father bringing home a PC Junior, and uh, I remember the words MS hyphen DOS every time you'd turn it on. And uh, so I guess that was my first experience with a Microsoft product. And uh, needless, I don't have to uh, don't have to compare the the early days of MS DOS to Windows 10. There's no comparison. But um, yeah, and from there. Gosh, probably, uh, I can remember learning some extremely rudimentary basic programming code, and that was probably the next uh, Microsoft, I guess, related tool, if you want to call it that. Uh, But I'd say pretty quickly it got straight into Excel. Um, One of the first early versions of Excel, I can remember being at college, and uh, I guess it was Windows 3. Uh, 3.1, I guess. Uh, I was already out of college when 3.1, I guess, hit. And I can remember being in a computer store and uh, looking at the software on the shelf. It used to come in a box. Do you remember this, Vernon? It'd come in a yeah. box, shrink yeah. wrap. <laughs> yep. And uh, looking at the pictures on the box and looking at the screenshots and going, wow, really? <laughs> that was that I, was pretty impressive looking. <clears throat> My my dad wasn't real technically savvy, but I do you know some of my fond memories with him were walking through. I don't even know what what the uh, computer store was at the time, and like Office Max or whatever the equivalent was back then. There were a lot of and mom look- and pop shops. It was just run by people that had you know, in, you know. I guess he had Ingram Micro and a lot of these. And I guess these entities are still out there. These wholesalers that would equip these folks with what they inventory of what they needed but it seemed like there were a lot of uh regional and small mom and pop type shops yeah mm-hmm. and i i just recall looking at the the software and my dad and i talking about it and looking at it and well let's see it was a little bit cheaper over here and boy i don't know if i could drop that <laughs> spend that much on it yet right. but boy that'd be that'd be fun you know we'd upgrade to i don't even remember what it was it, you know it was a lot more expensive but you know to buy the equivalent of office today's office back then Gosh, I can say, I, I remember that stuff being like $495 for Excel, PowerPoint, Word, yeah. and Outlook, maybe. Um, it, you know, this was at a time when, uh, gosh, that was 20 years ago, probably. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was some real money to drop just on a, a box of something. Mm-hmm. So the people that you work with... Uh, your your peers, how do they view Microsoft? Because you're obviously an enthusiast, but how do they view it, both from a consumer and like a you know get work done for me standpoint? Well, certainly from a professional standpoint, I mean it's it's not even really a discussion topic. I mean it's just understood that's that's what you use. I mean it's there isn't an alternative as far as uh, most places I've worked, most uh, certainly most uh, financial oriented type places. Yeah, you know you're going to be using Excel. You know you're going to be using SQL Server on on the corporate database, and and uh, there, there there really isn't a whole lot of other uh, items that enter into the conversation. To be perfectly honest with you, but uh, you know when it comes to personal tech, uh, obviously, uh, like probably anybody else, I'm surrounded by a sea of iPhones. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, as far as your the Microsoft services on your Android. Um, how how many of those do you uh, is your how do I say this like is your home screen just a sea of Microsoft icons or is it <laughs> you mix and match? I, I have tried to uh, Microsoft 
Microsoftize it? Is that, is that legitimate to say? Sure. Uh, I've tried a number of different launchers with this thing. I've, I've tried to find something I can live with. It's an LG. The LG skins are not uh, held in the highest regard exactly, and uh, I, I can kind of see why. You know, when you, when, you deep, when you dig down into the system beyond the launcher and you start getting to some of the items you can't change, like the settings menus and the contacts application and the phone dialer and so on. It, it, it's it's not all that enjoyable, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't like it too much at all. Um, I, you know, for the longest time, I was using Nova Launcher. I, it, it's incredibly flexible. You can you can bend it to your will pretty effectively. You can make the phone look pretty much any way you can imagine, with the exception of actual real functioning live tiles, in spite <laughs> of what... Uh, many folks out there on Reddit and other places will tell you, you know, you always get this helpful hint, uh, hints or tips about, oh, yeah, download this, you know, tile launcher or whatever. And, and uh, you know, I've gone out and looked at Investigate, and, of course, they're, uh, they're a sorry excuse for the real thing. that yeah, you, you can't have live tiles if apps aren't engineered and designed to support them. So uh, what's mm-hmm. the point? Um but that being said, uh, right now, what I've finally settled on, I am using the uh, Microsoft Aero Launcher right now. Um, I, I tried it not long after I got the phone. I didn't like the way it automatically rearranged everything for you based on the frequency of use of the apps. And it was constantly, you know, my, my homepage was constantly changing. That was driving me crazy. I, I didn't like that. And I don't think anybody else likes it too much either because uh, Microsoft finally capitulated here uh, a few weeks back and issued an update to the launcher that basically allows you to switch that off and arrange the icons and folders wherever you want them and the widgets wherever you want them and so that's been pretty nice so now I've got uh, and I've actually uh, created a home page that's paginated into three scrolling pages and I've kind of got some basic folders along the bottom on the first or actually I have nothing on the first page I just have some widgets across the top some weather widgets and uh, I have the Bing picture of the day so so when I, when I light it up I see the Bing picture of the day it kind of reminds me of my Windows phone uh, start screen or the lock screen and uh, that's pretty nice and uh, from that standpoint it does look about as Windows E as I can get it but um, <laughs> yeah I am using the usual suspects of course I've got all the office apps on there I've got the Outlook app on there the former a complete app. Um, yeah, they're good. They work. They're okay. Um, I don't buy into the argument that you hear all the time that uh, Microsoft's apps are better on other platforms than they are on on Windows Mobile. That certainly hadn't been my experience. Um, you know, there's a lot of parity. Uh, sure, there's one or two features on one platform that's not on the other, and and vice versa. But it all kind of shakes out and. Uh, a lot of times I prefer the the look and feel and the user experience on, on the Windows side. Nice. Cool. Well, uh, shifting gears here a little bit, I'm super glad, like I said before, that you had contacted me through our um, MS Mobile Show Slack channel. That's great. I'm glad you joined us there. But I, I'm curious, how did you find MS Mobile Show? And I guess what brings you back listening to it? <laughs> You know, I have absolutely no idea how I found it. Uh, I'm trying to recall, you know, probably the first podcast I ever stumbled across started listening to was uh, uh, probably Windows Weekly. I, I don't really recall. Um, and it was with my 920 and the podcast app, and I was just putzing around playing with it, and I probably searched for Windows Phone, and 
Um, started off listening to Windows Weekly. There may have been one or two others I picked up, but you know, yours was probably the second or third one I picked up, and I don't know how long you've been doing it. I got the impression that perhaps you hadn't been doing it too long by the time I stumbled across it, and I subscribed, and I've been, you know, it's been in my podcatcher every week ever since, so uh, I've been listening to you for a while. Now, I know it's been well over well over a year. It has to have been, probably more than that. How long have you been doing this, Vernon? Um, well, this this show, MS Mobile Show, has been about a year and a half or okay. a little bit longer, but of course I had a show before that. You and David do a great job of uh, trying to cover things from the perspective of the enthusiast and, uh, you know, the things that... I do get tired of hearing uh, from some of the, uh, shall we say, some of the larger podcasts. Is, uh, you know, certainly within the last year and a half, it, 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 the punching bag that, that Windows Phone or Windows Mobile has become, even on the shows that supposedly are uh, for the enthusiasts, has become a little disconcerting. And, uh, you know, it, it gets a little tiresome. And uh, it's it's uh, nice listening to you guys because you don't have to put up with a lot of that. But, um yeah, not not that uh, I want everything uh, sugar coated and, and uh, ignoring bad news per se, but there, there, it's one thing to cover bad news and talk about; it's another thing to be a snarky, sarcastic. Uh, uh, e- even when there's not bad news, trying to turn what's otherwise good news into bad news, it seems like seems to be a real effort sometimes out there. <laughs> well, we try to keep it lighthearted. I can't keep up as well on the news as I'd like to. I have family and a regular sure. job, not in this industry, and it's just I I can't distill every tiny little piece of news and be on the very latest and greatest of everything so we just like talking about what we enjoy and that comes pretty easy so yeah i think that's why uh fans that listen to your show listen to it because that's what they that's what they want to hear okay cool the next the reason we have you on the show is to help us with some financial numbers so time for you to be uh brutally boastful tell us why you are a good person (laughs) to help us sort through this Microsoft buyback um, stuff. Well, I don't know if I'm a good person or not, but we'll, uh, we'll get through it together. But, um, you know, it, it, you know there's, there's, I think there's probably a lot of confusion. People hear this term, a, a stock buyback. And, and I know this is, you know, this is two-week-old news by now. A lot of people have forgotten about it already. But um, I'm sure it will be in the headlines again probably next quarter when Microsoft updates some numbers, if they've made any meaningful purchases, they'll give updates on it. But, you know, just to back up a little bit and, and just address the question of, well, what is a stock buyback plan? What exactly does that mean? Uh, you know, I could I could kind of detect on some of the uh, tech blogs that, you know, they, they were under the impression that Microsoft was, uh, you know, giving away their cash somehow, and, 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 and they were somehow trying to uh, wrestle with this notion that is this is this some sort of bad news? Why you know why are they doing this? Why are they having to buy back their stock? And just to kind of ex- explain the concept a little bit, you know, a large public corporation as it you know goes about its operations generates cash flow and they generate retained earnings. Well, over time, obviously these, these earnings grow if they're performing well and they're executing. The, this cash pile grows and grows and grows. Well, at some point, um, the capital structure starts getting out of balance. You start you start having more equity than the company needs. Um, any corporation funds its operations with a blend of equity and debt capital, and fundamentally speaking, equity is very expensive capital from the uh, based upon the return that equity investors expect, and debt 
you know, runs from senior secured on, on one end of the spectrum to uh, unsecured, uh, unsubordinated debt at the other end. And uh, depending on where it is in the capital stack can be very cheap capital or, and, or can get on up uh, in its effective costs as it, as it gets closer to um, the characteristics of equity. So, um, so you've got, you know, this, this capital structure and companies try to optimize their capital structure. They try to come up with the right blend of equity and debt financing that, that reduces their overall cost of capital without taking on too much risk. You know, debt is risky in the sense that if a company, uh, if, if, if earnings start faltering, cash flow starts faltering and they don't have the cash flow coming in the door to service the debt and they default on the debt, well, now they've put their equity holders at risk. And, um, uh, you know, that's something that, that management never wants to do. So uh, somewhere there's this optimal blend where you, you're using enough debt capital to lower your, your capital costs, but you've got enough equity uh, padding in there that, that you're um, got enough cash, free cash flow to be able to service the debt. Um, and, and so, what, what, you know, a company that's been really successful and generated a lot of cash flow and a lot of retained earnings, over time ends up with this outsized pile of, of equity. And uh, they ultimately, okay, I, they, they have to... Let's hold on for a second. Okay, like, sure. This equity, this, this pile of money, okay... Right. Um, I mean, how how liquid is that? I mean, it's obviously not stacks of bills or gold bars in a safe, but I mean, it is. Well, I mean, it's, it's very liquid. <laughs> it's cash. It, you know, and this cash will uh, it'll sit in uh, large money center banks. That they'll they'll invest it overnight in uh, what's referred to as short term investments. It's typically overnight commercial paper or very short duration, um, you know, AAA investment type stuff. It, it's very akin to just having cash in a checking account at your bank. Like a money market fund, yeah, I guess yes, that would be very something much I'd like be familiar with. Yes, it's very much like a money market fund. And, and so, um, so they're not really obviously making much money with that fluid, with that liquid. That's, that's and correct. They, would, they want to do something more profitable with that. I, yeah, because I mean, if that you makes think about it, you know, what is the, you know, it's easy to answer the question, what is the cost of debt? If you issue five hundred million in bonds, you know, and your coupon at the time you do the issue is five uh, percent, and you know what your cost of debt is. Um, a more amorphous question is, so what's the cost of equity? Well, the cost of equity is the expected return on that equity by your shareholders, and uh, at any given point in time, the stock market will tell you what the expected return is on on a stock just by looking at uh, at, at its most recent return on equity numbers and um, you know, it's kind of a good proxy. You can kind of look at the industry. You can roll together all the stocks that make up an industry and look at the aggregate uh, return on equity for the most recent uh, trailing four quarters and kind of use that as a proxy for, okay, that's kind of your cost of equity. That's usually something in, you know, for large cap uh, American blue chip company, that's probably, you know, 15 to 18% kind of number historically and for smaller cap tech companies that's that's on up in the 20s and Mm. so if that's your cost of capital if you're holding all this cash and your investors are expecting you to generate that kind of return and you're you've got it in overnight money market instruments that are generating three basis points you know one tenth of one percent 
you're sitting at you're sitting in a negative you're sitting in a negative uh, return environment, right? Uh, you got to put that capital to work, and uh, large co- mature companies oftentimes don't see projects on the horizon that would meet their requirements to build to deploy that cash into new investments that would generate the appropriate rate of return and, and add to their overall um, you know corporate blended return and so would, then the would obvious another, would another question to ask be what is the opportunity cost yes. of the li- of the liquidity that's is right that, is that that makes sense yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, there is an opportunity cost to holding cash like that. It's not so much an opportunity cost to the company; it's an opportunity cost to to the shareholders. Um, if you know, if the corporate management either needs to deploy that capital into the business, or if they don't have projects available for the foreseeable future to deploy that capital into, they need to return it to shareholders and leave it to the shareholders to reallocate it wherever they need to. Uh, share, you know, the shareholders invested that money in you for a specific reason. Uh, it was an allocation in this case, in Microsoft's case, to large cap equity and uh, in the tech sector, and that's where they expect that capital to be deployed. If so much has has accreted and accrued that that it can't be redeployed uh, at this particular point in time, then companies will return some of it. And there's typically two ways to so return it. You read. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, that is basically come up on the buyback here. So this is not the – well, let's start with that. What is the buyback? And then we can talk about the previous times it's happened, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So a buyback is one means of returning capital to shareholders. Uh, The other means being the dividend policy. And so, you know, know, mature companies uh, frequently will pay a common common stock dividend. And when you set that dividend, when a board sets that dividend – it's understood by the markets uh, that 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 number is there until until we change it, and it's not a very frequently changed number. You know, it, it's it's a slow moving number, so markets can uh, can plan around it, and investors can plan around it. So uh, let's back up just just another moment here. It wasn't right. explain to to me again and to our listeners difference between you know a dividend. And your actual earnings on stock, and you sure. know when you when you sell it. I mean, sure, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you know, a company goes about its business over the course of a year, and it generates sales. It has operating costs, cost of goods sold, and so on, and overhead that it has to pay. At the end of the day, it's got a net income number, and that net income gets booked into retained earnings. That that money now belongs to the shareholders. The company continues to hold on to it for a while, and then it slowly starts paying parts of that out through a dividend. Uh, holders of common stock uh, are entitled to, you know, whatever the dividend is set to, let's say $0.35 cents per share. And so if you hold 100 shares of common stock, then once a quarter you'll get a check for, uh, you know, your $0.35 cents times 100. So, um now, over time, the corporate board will, you know, if things are going well and cash flow continues to remain stable and growing, uh, they'll ratchet up that dividend. They'll, they'll bump up that dividend over time. But rarely uh, are, are companies' cash flows that steady and that smooth. You know, they usually come in, in lump chunks here and there, and, you know, a big pile will come in, a big 
a big pile might go out. And so from time to time, they'll have an outsized piece of retained earnings that they'd like to return to shareholders. And, they, and one way of doing that is through a stock buyback plan or even a special dividend. They may declare a special dividend that's a rather large number that's just for this quarter only uh, and so on. But but stock buybacks are a popular means of returning capital shareholders. It's popular with shareholders because the way they get their money is by selling some of their stock if they choose to in open market transactions. The, the company is buying the stock back in the open market. They're not they're not buying it directly from shareholders. They're you know placing a buy order on the markets through the, through brokers just like you would if you wanted to to uh, buy something yourself. So when when that happens, I don't know how that works in in the open market. But someone goes out to say I'm looking to buy Microsoft stock or any stock, not necessarily because of a buyback program. But when there's a lot of it available to be sold, what does that do for the value of the stock itself? Well, if there's a lot of it to be sold and you don't have a corresponding uh, demand on the other side, then, of course, it puts downward pressure on the price. The price will go down. Uh, a stock buyback program kind of has the opposite effect because now you've got a large institutional buyer in the market out there buying big blocks, that being Microsoft. And so that tends to drive the price up. And so all other things being equal... Uh, you, you suddenly now have an entity out there with $40 billion to spend to buy Microsoft stock. As you can imagine, that tends to put some upward pressure on the price. And, and that's why, so even if a existing shareholder doesn't want to share their, their uh, stock, the fact that Microsoft's out there buying up supply drives up the value of their stock. So, you know, if there are, you know, 100 million shares issued and outstanding and Microsoft's out there buying big chunks of it back, then there's fewer shares to go around. Earnings on a per share basis increase. Yeah, you're, 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 you're lowering that denominator in the, in, the, in the calculation there. That drives up the value of that stock. So that's how you kind of return value to the shareholders. And, and it also has the added benefit that um, shareholders don't get taxed if they're not selling their stock, right? If, if you pay a big dividend, now suddenly that's that's taxed at your uh, standard income rate. Um, so that is a less efficient means of returning value to shareholders than, than a buyback. A special dividend you're saying is, is what you would not, you'd uh, be less likely to want to do than um, just a buyback. Well, I mean, it, it, investors like dividends. They like having the income. It's, you know, there, there are all kinds of investors out there, right? And, and, and particularly uh, investors who are relying on their stock portfolio for income to support themselves, uh, like like income stocks. And so they like companies that have a history of paying a stable dividend and then slowly increase it over time. So, so the company wants to do that, and they want to have a policy for doing that. And, and to the extent that they have excess earnings above and beyond that, that they're trying to to give back to investors, then, then you'll typically see it done through these stock buyback programs. And, um, and all a program is, is just an authorization by the board of directors uh, giving management the permission and the green light to buy up to, in this case, $40 billion worth of, of stock. And typically that authorization is good for a certain time periods, say three years. And so now, um, you know, Amy Hood and her treasury department will be monitoring uh, the stock and on day, you know, they'll, they'll try to be opportunistic when, when the stock dips. Uh, that's a good buying opportunity. Uh, they'll want to go in and buy on, on the down 
trades and uh a because that helps support the stock and and keeps it up and b because it's it's for for the for the remaining shareholders that's a good buy that's a bargain you know they're they're buying the stock cheaper you don't you don't want to buy at the top you want just like any other stock investor you want to buy buy low and sell high right so um you know that they're, they're looking for opportunities they don't just go out and just drop 40 billion all at once they yeah. they, they hold on to that capital and they wait for what they feel are opportune buying times and then they step in and and they buy just an enough quantity um to take shares off the market without dramatically moving it you know you don't want to race in there and just spike it way up there that, that tends to hurt a lot of people in the process because other people see it jumping they buy and as soon as you stop buying well then it falls back down and some people mm-hmm. are stuck having bought it at, at the high price only to watch it fall so so you want it you want to be gradual about it you want to ease into the market and you want to you want to feather that that capital out there so when did Microsoft start with these buyback programs? Uh, well, you know, I haven't done any kind of digging to see what they've done, but I do. I did see in um, I don't know if it was the press. I think it was the press release I saw, or maybe it was just a uh, maybe it was just a Bloomberg news article. I, I don't recall now, but I did see where this was a third buyback plan uh, sequentially. I guess with the. Uh, most recent one having been announced in 2013, so I don't think that that second one's been complete completed yet. But it's probably getting close to the end of its life, and that's why they've gone ahead and authorized this next one. And I think um, it's I think it's November 1st. It rolls over. Okay, well there you go. So I, I think, so it sounds yeah. like that uh, that second one was ex- set to expire, and so this uh, this next one will now take effect, and they'll continue to have that dry powder, if you will, to put the work out there if they see the opportunity. And on the dividend side, they also took the opportunity to raise the dividend. They announced uh, they were increasing their dividend 8.3% to $0.39 a share. And um, at the time, given the uh, price at which Microsoft stock was trading, uh, at the existing dividend amount, it was yielding an equivalent of 2.5% annualized yield. so by you know raising that so dividend the, a little wait, bit, the dividend itself was two and a half percent. What you're earning on that? Yeah, wait, wait. Think of dividend yield. If you buy, let's say you buy a share of stock for a hundred dollars, and you hold it for one year, and over the course of that year, you receive ten dollars in dividends. That's a ten percent yield mm-hmm. dividend yield on that stock. But I mean, the yield is, or um, I'm sorry, the dividend is earning that, and that's not even, that's not even counting. The growth and the value of that stock. That is correct. There are two components to return on on stock. There's the dividend, which is the income, and then there's capital gains, which is price movement. And so, yeah, you you don't you don't actually realize the gain on on the price movement until you actually sell. So you know you you can have a paper gain or loss, but until you actually sell, you haven't realized it. So you don't really book a that's not that doesn't become bookable. It doesn't become taxable income until you sell it. And mm-hmm. um, but in the meantime, you're, you're receiving dividend checks, and that is taxed at your uh, marginal rate, and uh, that's taxed as ordinary income. And um, whereas capital gains, if you hold, if you buy stock and you hold it for over a year, and then you sell it, whatever gain you made on on that sell, that's taxed at the long term capital gain rate, which is a little lower than than the typical. Uh, ordinary income rate. And so that's yeah, an incentive for people to be long-term equity investors. So that the dividend yield itself of two two and a half percent 
I'm, I'm assuming it's pretty good. It's it's better than I expected, I guess. Well, it, it's it's certainly better than what you'd get in your local uh, passbook savings account, but you're also yeah. taking on a lot more risk. <laughs> you have no guarantee of principal here. Uh, you you can lose money. You can make money. Um, but for long-term investors who uh, have an allocation of their their investable dollars into large cap equity stocks, yeah, two and a half percent is probably not a bad income for a blue chip stock. Um, you know, they went ahead and bumped the, the dividend yield. Uh, they, they went ahead and increased the dividend, which has the added effect of all other things being held equal. If the stock price were to stay exactly where it was, that would increase the yield, making it more attractive to income investors, right? Which, of course, makes more people buy the stock, which makes the price go up, which brings the yield back down again to kind of, uh, you know, this this equalized value. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, there's this market equilibrium. And, and so by increasing the yield, a lot of times all that does, absent any other news, will cause the stock price to float up a little bit to meet it. And you kind of end up at the end of the day a lot of times right back where it was. But that's good, though, because you put a little upward pressure on the stock. But at the end of the day, what do shareholders want? They want, they want that price to go up. So mm-hmm. uh, all these policies are designed to, to support that, that long-term goal. All right. So the money that Microsoft has set aside for this buyback, I'm sure they're trying to do something wise with it you know, from a tax standpoint. How are they... Well, sure. Where's this money coming from? Like we talk about whether it's overseas or not, and how you, I mean, right. I I don't understand any of that. I just know that there's people that smart people make a lot of money figuring this out. <laughs> well, yeah, it, Microsoft is a global corporation with sales operations all over the planet. They generate earnings from all over the place. Um, earnings that are generated outside the borders of the United States tend to, you know, be retained within those markets. You know, sometimes they'll repatriate or they'll consolidate earnings uh, over a period of time into various uh, more regional-type headquarters, I guess. Uh, but but you're right. Over time, uh, a lot of these earnings have built, and not just with Microsoft, Apple's been in the press quite a bit lately because of this as well, but uh, a lot of large global corporations have earnings that have been accruing and building up overseas and they haven't repatriated those earnings back into the states because for quite a while now the united states has had one of the highest corporate income tax rates um, in the industrialized world and so for a frame of reference is that five percent oh it's it's, it's I mean, like, like four, yeah it's like uh i think it's 35 percent, 37 percent, somewhere around there but okay it's uh you know to give you some context uh there are countries that not all that long ago we would have thought of as, you know, very high tax rate socialist country. You know, a lot of the Scandinavian countries. Want to, I, I hadn't looked at this in a long time, so I don't, I don't recall off the top of my head. But I want to say I don't remember who's got a higher rate than us, but you'd be surprised at some of the countries that have much lower rates than us. <laughs> uh, countries that you'd think, wait a minute, aren't, aren't they a socialist country? And, and you know, wouldn't you assume they have rather onerous corporate tax rates and uh, the reality is no they don't they, they keep those rates relatively low because they want to attract capital and they want to attract uh, industry and they want to grow their economies and uh, they, they realize that that lifts the living standard of their citizens um, seems like everybody on the planet's kind of learned that lesson uh, sometimes our politicians seem to have trouble comprehending that fact but mm-hmm. um, you know, the fact remains today we have one of the highest corporate income tax rates on the planet. 
And as a result, a lot of money's been just kind of piling up uh, all over the globe and not coming back home. But that being said, there's been a lot of earnings generated right here in the U.S. too. And uh, these companies have paid uh, a lot of tax dollars on those earnings. And uh, a lot of this cash that's being utilized, this $40 billion that's being utilized in stock buyback, can probably be coming from a couple of places. It can be coming from cash on hand here in the States. You know, the last quarter at June 30th, Microsoft had $113 billion in cash on their balance sheet. Uh, cash and short-term investments, which are essentially cash. Um, now, the biggest chunk of that supposedly is overseas, but, but you know, there's a few tens of billions, I'm sure, right here in the USA. On top of that, they, they can uh, float some bond issues. Uh, debt is amazingly cheap right now. And we're at historic lows for interest rates. And corporations have been taking advantage of that for several years now so, and continue to do so. So you're saying that it actually makes more sense for Microsoft to take out a loan to buy this, this stock, the buyback program. It makes more sense for them to do that than for them to pay the taxes for it coming in overseas? Or Well, well let's, let's back up a little bit and look more at the big picture here. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what they're doing. I don't know. Uh, but theoretically, if a company has a lot of cash building up on their balance sheet, uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that, that equity tends to grow and grow and grow. It's, it's, it's getting too big. The capital structure is changing. And if, the, if, they've, you know, if they've got a policy in place within their corporate treasury, they've identified their ideal capital structure saying 60% debt, 40% equity. And uh, through great success of their operations, their retained earnings have been growing, and now today they're, they're almost inverted. Let's say a company now standing at 60% equity, 40% debt uh, with their capital structure. It's not unheard of or not uncommon to do a large bond offering and rebalance that capital structure. Put a little more debt on the balance sheet through the bond offering. Use that cash raised in the bond sale to turn around and pay out a special dividend or buy stock back. And, and pair back the amount of equity they're utilizing. Return that equity to the shareholders. And that brings that overall cost of capital back into balance, lowers that cost of capital and gets it back in check. That's just good management. And that's what you expect, uh, you know, uh, large corporate management to be watching and, and hmm. be uh, be managing balance sheet. And, um, and so, it, you know, it's not unheard of to do these. Anytime a company borrows money to then pay out a dividend, it's called a dividend recap or dividend recapitalization. And uh, it's, it's not unheard of. You don't see giant corporations like Microsoft doing it a lot. But uh, um, I just throw that out there saying that that's always a possibility. Yes, where does this cash come from? Uh, you know, if, if they had all their cash overseas and they didn't want to bring a big chunk of it back because they'd have to pay 37% of it instantly, uh, you know, right out the door. Uh, shareholders would lose 37% of it instantly just by bringing it across the borders. Uh, sure, it makes sense to pay 4% um, for the next 10 years on, on a chunk of capital to uh, to perhaps pair back some of that equity. Mm-hmm. That is uh, a drastic difference, which I, it makes sense. I, I do understand it from a very broad standpoint, but to really think about it in that, those terms is pretty uh mind-blowing yeah you know most most people don't understand it's not intuitive they don't understand that there's a cost to equity you know it, it, even even small business owners and whatnot you know they view equity as kind of like well that's great you don't have to pay you don't have to make a loan payment you have to you know it's it's cheap but no it's not it, it's very expensive it's you know equity investors take all the risk 
and therefore they expect a certain level of compensation for putting their capital at risk. And if you're financing your entire operation uh, with equity, well then that means you better be earning, you know, 20 something percent type return for, you know, a small to medium sized business. Um, you know, every day you're in, you're out. And um, that's, that's pretty tough to pull off. You know, it, it's always good to have a little debt on there to lower your overall cost of capital and improve the return on equity. You know, if you have a smaller amount of equity employed in the operations than whatever returns you do generate, um, if you have less equity, you're going to have a higher return on equity, which is a primary metric that, that most equity investors look at and decide where they're going to put their money. Hmm. Well, at the risk of sounding too political, it would be nice to see Microsoft spending that money back in the U.S., being a U.S. citizen myself. And, you know, obviously more I think we, jobs we, we all feel that land. way, and, and uh, I'm sure Microsoft would like to do that too. But by the same token, Microsoft can't be, they can't be stupid. They can't, you know, that, that would be a gross violation of their duties to shareholders to just basically evaporate a third of that <laughs> that retained earnings just because it, it's not like they're doing anything illegal they're not they, that, that's the thing that that's so funny when you hear people talk about this they don't really have a grasp of it they uh that they, they they seem to think that microsoft's a you know their, their tax dodges or they're 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 doing something underhanded or sneaky here to avoid paying taxes they're not doing anything but following the law and Tax laws are set and structured now that creates this incentive for them to keep money overseas. So they're going to keep money overseas. Um, taxes are instruments of influencing behavior. You know, governments mm-hmm. put taxes yeah. in place to try to get the type of behavior they want. Often, and that's why you have things such as sin taxes. They want to, you know, if they want people not to smoke, they'll put outrageous taxes on cigarettes, and to the point where it becomes uh, very difficult for anybody to be able to justify to buy a pack of cigarettes. And so, it's no different with uh, income tax or anything else. Uh, the government, or you know, the certain political groups and in, in, in parties who seem to think that it's a good idea to put a high income tax rate on a certain type of income or a certain group of income earners seem to think, well, that's fair because these people have the money. What they often don't look at it from the perspective of well, what's the message you're sending. You're, 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 telling, uh, you're telling people you don't want this type of behavior. You're saying don't earn a lot of money. Don't mm-hmm. don't uh, don't be successful. Don't don't generate a large return because uh, we're, we're going to take it from you if you do. And so it tends to have a long term effect of uh, stamping that down. And uh, or right back to this point, it just encourages people to not spend the money where it's taxed. It's not so much spending, right? It's it's just kind of sitting there in a bucket. It, it's not it's not being spent. It's, it's just sitting there in limbo. Uh, waiting to be redeployed in some form or fashion. Um, when it's overseas like that, uh, it, and I don't know for a fact, but I imagine it makes it difficult to uh, pay it out in form of dividend because uh, I'm not sure you can pay the dividend. If it's all sitting in Ireland or some some uh, lower tax uh, jurisdiction like that, I don't know if you can pay a dividend from that locale. I imagine you can't. imagine it's got to come back into the States before they can pay it out. Since they're a head, since they're a U.S. domiciled corporation, um, you know. You know one one more question though. I didn't really think about this till now. How did the money get overseas to begin with? 
Well, the, the, this a, was all money that was earned overseas. So or they, earned they just, just never repatriated just, it back to the states. But, I mean, earned, like, from someone buying uh, something at a Microsoft store overseas, which I guess there's uh, very few of. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, but, it's more but, complicated than that. Yeah, but, but you know, that's another thing, too. You know, it, it, a lot of uh, folks we hear talking on these podcasts and a lot of the enthusiast podcasts and whatnot, they, they tend to think of Microsoft as this consumer company, and they think of ter- they think in terms of the phones and the Surface tablet and that stuff. That's all great and everything, but... but we got to remember the vast majority of Microsoft's earnings come from enterprise. They come from cloud services. They come from data centers. They come from uh, licenses for, for all these myriad of software tools. At the end of the day, Microsoft's a software company. That's where they make their money. And uh, sure, they make money selling Xboxes. They make money selling Surface tablets. And um, But the lion's share of it uh, is still enterprise revenue and and uh you know europe and asia uh are i'm sure good businesses for them so if, if microsoft obviously is an american company and that software is is uh sourced i mean it's it was created in the united states why would that money not automatically come back here even if it was purchased by someone overseas uh, you know, the companies will have subsidiaries uh, or joint ventures, depending on which markets they're operating in. Like, let's say China, for example. Uh, to my knowledge, I believe this is still the case. An American company just can't go over to China and sell stuff. <laughs> Chinese government kind of frowns upon that. Uh, mm-hmm. Typically, you'd have to partner up with a Chinese company or you'd have to form some joint venture. So, so you create some entity for that market. And that market conducts all the uh, sales efforts and sells the products and services, generates the revenue there, books the earnings there. And it's a subsidiary. And at some point in time, sure, Microsoft U.S. owns that entity, or is, um, you know, it's it, it, it. And that entity, at some point in time, much like we were talking about Microsoft paying out dividends to its shareholders, that entity at some point in time will dis, will pay its retained earnings up to the parent. And um, but it has full discretion on when and how much, and, and so on. A lot of times, uh, depending on the nature of the business and the growth opportunities in its market and whatnot, they may never or they, they may have no plans of paying out or repatriating earnings up to the parent because they'll need that capital redeploy there locally if the, if there are opportunities there locally. So um, hmm. you know every market and every line of business has its own unique situations, but. Um, but just through the course of you know pursuing business, uh, these these pools of earnings build up, and, and um, as long as tax policy is what it is, uh, the incentive is to just leave that money there, even if it could be brought back home for better uses. Um, at some point, those uses have to be so overwhelmingly good to be worth it to pay this outsized tax. And, 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 you know, one thing to keep in mind, too, that, that a lot of people struggle with the idea that the common man on the street doesn't seem to grasp this. Corporations or legal structures, they're, they're passed through into these. They're just buckets. Uh, and at the end of the day, corporations don't pay taxes. People pay taxes. You know, whatever tax is placed on the corporation is coming out of the pocket of the shareholders. And those shareholders are not, you know, these big 
They're not big fat cats sitting around their gentleman's club in midtown Manhattan smoking on their cigars. They're firemen and teachers and police officers and you and I and everybody else that's got a 401k account that's got a Vanguard 500 index fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. It, that, you know, it, it, that's it, me. <laughs> a lot of those same people are sitting there screaming, yeah, tax the corporate, you know, make the corporations pay for it. Well, what they don't realize, what they're saying effectively is, Make me pay for that 15 years from now because my retirement account is going to be a little less than it would be otherwise. And every one of those little nicks over time with compounding ha- has an impact. So um, at the end of the day, a 35% tax on corporations, you know, whatever your marginal rate is, add that to it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. now you're being double taxed and, and, uh, um, you know, we're, we're taxed higher than we think we are because of these oh, yeah. type of structures. For sure. Tax multiple times. Well, there's a few other things that you recognize people getting wrong often and uh, are easily getting this mixed up. And I would love for you to dig into these as well. We're Save these for next earnings season or something because I'm sure they'll come up again. But some of the topics you hear uh, discussed on some of our favorite podcasts are items like uh, impairment charges or write downs, particularly with the whole Nokia division uh, as it pertains to Microsoft, and um, a lot of misunderstanding there too. You know, a lot of people you were hearing things like, uh, "Well, Microsoft doesn't believe in their phone business anymore because they wrote off the Nokia acquisition." Well, uh, those two things are not uh, cause and effect. Uh, a write-off doesn't happen because a company doesn't believe in in what they're doing. Uh, the write-off happens because of very specified events that uh, generally accepted accounting principles mandate uh, charges be taken when certain events happen. And that almost always has to do with when you become aware of certain material facts that would mean the asset is valued less than what you currently have it on the books for, then you have to take a chart. You have to write it down to that fair market value. And, you know, in the case of Microsoft and Nokia, I'm sure when they acquired Nokia, they had a certain business plan. They had projections for earnings and sales. And as each quarter came and went and sales weren't living up to expectations, that created the situation where, okay, if you take the future value of those cash flows, you discount them back to a present value. You know, that's how we came up with the number that that we determined was this asset was worth when we acquired it. Well, now those cash flows are not panning out the way we planned. It's apparent that it's worth less. And so, therefore, we need to take a charge. We need to to mark down that asset. We still may believe 110% in what we're doing here and in the the projects we've got on the books and what we're working on in our labs. And, you know, three, four, or five years down the road, we think we've got some pretty exciting stuff we're going to be bringing to market. But today, right now, we can't, from an accounting standpoint, we can't leave this on the books the way it is. And so that's... Yeah, you can't confuse those two. You can't say, oh, because they had to take a write-off, they they don't believe in the phone business. They're right, they're they're walking away from the phone business. There was a lot of that kind of talk. That, that's really frustrating and kind of infuriating to to hear uh, from my perspective. Well, to to shift on that a little bit, is it not reasonable to make the assumption that right now they don't feel very confident in the phone business? Uh, no, I don't think that's unreasonable, and they may they may not as far as next quarter and the quarter after that and the next year. Um, 
what we're all hoping on is uh, Panay is hard at work in his secret labs <laughs> working on something that we're all going to love. And, um, yeah, th this was the same story with the Surface, right? Uh, the first generation Surface RT came out and promptly flopped. And uh, they had a bunch of inventory that wasn't moving. They had to take a charge on that inventory. They had to write down a lot of uh, the assets they had on the books for related to that business. They didn't walk away from it. They didn't say, oh, we're losing interest in this. And a lot of a lot of rumbling was going on saying they should. A lot of uh, people that thought they were the smartest people in the room were clamoring for them to get out of that business. Um, lucky for us, they stuck with it, and uh, they had a plan. They knew, what, they knew where they were going. They knew what they wanted to do, and they executed. And today, uh, Surface is a great business. Same with Xbox. Same thing happened. Mm -hmm. Same with yeah. Bing. Same thing happened. Yeah, and it's sure. amazing how minute, how much of the public has such incredibly short-term memory, and and uh, you know everybody's an armchair quarterback, thinks they uh, thinks they know exactly what Microsoft should do. That's you know that, that, that to me that's the hilarious part of it to hear all these uh, all these people say ridiculous crap, and <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I suspect uh, they very much believe uh, Satya Nadella wasn't running around for the first twelve months of his. Um, CEO ship uh, proclaiming that we were living in a cloud first, mobile first world, uh, only to turn around and say, well, we're not going to screw around with mobile anymore. Um, he knows we're in a cloud first, mobile first world. He knows it's vital that they have some sort of mobile um, aspect a, a, to, to their yeah, operating a system. Mechanism yeah. to yeah, just a mobile contact, I should say, to get their right. products and services to consumers, both enterprise and, you know, what we think of as consumers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would say, really, they're not even if, – if they're walking away from anything, it is the consumer. You know, they, 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 at the end of the day, they know they're, they're going to have trouble compete. They're going to have trouble with a frontal assault uh, with a phone that's going to require trendy – uh, let's face it, stupid apps that, that yeah. you know, every 17-year-old wants. They understand that. They get it. Okay, we tried. Yeah, you know, the apps didn't come. The developers didn't come play on our playground. Okay. They're pulling back from that. They're not losing sight of the fact they got to have a mobile arm to their to their OS if for no other reason, for strategic reasons, for defensive reasons. Like I said earlier, their, their golden goose is the enterprise. That's where they make their money that's where they're good. That's where they're the best in the world. That's where, and, and they don't have to go conquer the enterprise. When I say, you know, they got to be there for the enterprise. I'm, I'm not saying they're going to go displace the iPhone in every uh, executive boardroom around the country. What they need to do is have a mobile operating system that's damn good, that's good, it's secure, it's stable, and is a pathway through which their enterprise customers can access their data should they need to. If something changes, you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario where this is possible. But if if I if Apple were to somehow, uh, let's say Apple acquires SAP next month, and a year from now launches some hot new uh, enterprise ERP type uh, software that's a direct threat and composition for you know dynamics and some of the other tools that Microsoft sell and in the process they kind of make a update to iOS that somehow 
some way impedes or degrades the experience for Microsoft's tools and products on iOS or somehow gives their in-house stuff an edge, well, now suddenly Microsoft's vulnerable. right? You know, that's why it's kind of been my contention and my argument that uh, they, they got to be in mobile. they got to have a presence there. they got to have a really good offering that they can just set up on the shelf you know, behind the glass, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the fire extinguisher yeah. behind the glass door break in case of emergency kind of thing. If you got to put something in the hands of your enterprise customers so that uh, so you know they can take full advantage of, of, the, of your tools, then, then great. And in the meantime, uh, right now, Microsoft is operating living in a world where that's not the case, and they can put their stuff and their tools out wherever their customers are. And, and I think that's a great strategy. I, I, I don't understand... How so many of the Windows fans get so upset because uh, Microsoft releases, you know, a, a quality app on iOS or Android? Uh, uh, sure, if they were ignoring their own mobile platform, I can see getting upset about it. A lot of people, they, they make that argument because it went to iOS first or went to Android first. Uh, they immediately jump to the conclusion, well, it's never coming to Windows or Windows Phone, and therefore... Microsoft, or because they went there first, they're ignoring their own product. I don't see it that way. I see it as they're getting the tools in the hands of their customers first, and they'll circle back, and they're they're continuing to build up an OS right now, a mobile OS that will be awesome in another year or two. I mean, you look at where they're going with Continuum. You look at these most recent developments they just showed off for Continuum. I think we can all see where this is headed, and um, the day is coming where you, you literally are going to have your computer in your pocket. And screens, big screens will be wireless. That they'll be effortless wherever you are. You'll just be able to connect, boom, access your information, interact with it. Um, it'll be more mobile than ever. I think it'll be it'll be pretty awesome. But now's just not the time for them. They're not going to get traction with consumer. They're going to get traction with enterprise. It's probably what they should have done three years ago. Um, it, mm-hmm. But but once yeah. they get traction, I think they're going to come in th- just like they did with Office or anything else. Every consumers all over the planet use Office. They they do they do so because it started with enterprise. That's where they learned about. That's where they got their hands on it, and they brought it home. I, I don't doubt. Same thing will happen with their mobile OS tech. It's, it'll start in the enterprise. Uh, people for now have never used it, never touched it. They just have heard bad things about, it, so they they won't even give it a chance. Uh, if, if they get exposure to it at work or in the office or in the field, they see exactly what it can do. Hey, this, this is kind of cool. They have to carry it. They have to carry it around. They'll, they'll, because there are people with uh, probably better discretionary income than the typical general public carrying these things around, uh, app makers will suddenly have an interest. You'll start seeing some apps appear, and uh, that, mm-hmm. it'll be a slow trickle you know, that, that, that builds up. But it's going to be a... It'll be a long, long haul. I think it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen. Not going to happen in six months. Not going to happen in a year. Blake, it was just awesome having you on. Obviously, you can subscribe to the show, everyone. Please do that. Join us in the Slack channel. Just DM me uh, if you want to get in on that. If you'd like, uh, follow us on Twitter at MS Mobile Show. I'm on Twitter at Vernon El and Blake. Share with anyone uh, where they can find you on Twitter or anywhere else online if they'd like. Yeah, Twitter's pretty much the the only place. You find me at Blake Latson. And Latson, L-A-T-S-O-N. That is correct. Cool. That is it. That's been Blake, it's been super awesome having you on. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful week. Stay home.